Boozed and Confused is a comedy and weird topic podcast. Adult language may be used probably by me. While our episode topics may be educational in nature, we are not responsible if your children start dropping the F-bomb to their kindergarten class. Listener discretion is advised. Mateys. Oh, that's a that's a new one. Uh, yar. <laughs> How are you all doing? That didn't work out very well. We're gonna. We'll let's try just, it again. Let's just scrap we'll this one. Again. Hello, everyone. Yar. Shoot. <laughs> Hi. I'm Carolyn. Uh, this is Matt. So it is, and uh, welcome back to another episode of Boosting Confused. Another one. Another one. Is this 69? This is not 69. 68? We're, we're in the mid 80s. What? This is like episode 85. <laughs> wow. Time, yeah, time just flies. I don't remember what we did for episode 69, but I think I remember us saying something was fucking us. That was the price I paid for gas this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, on the dot, did not pay ahead to be funny and go, haha. Hey, Reddit, look at this. It was genuine yeah did you post that to reddit i didn't oh you should i will they're gonna call you a karma whore um anyway so welcome back to another episode of boost and confused um uh to start out a few housekeeping items before we get into uh what is wrong with humanity <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot uh so the first thing is uh we're on all your favorite social media we're on facebook instagram youtube and twitter if somebody is like a youtube guru can you tell me what happened in like the beginning of march that changed it so that we basically got no views like we used to average a pretty decent amount every day and then all of a sudden it like dropped off like march 1st or 2nd and i'm wondering if like somebody reported our channel or like if something changed in their algorithm I don't know. I have no idea. You're being way too positive. This is not a shadow ban. We just suck. <laughs> well, it's everybody else's fault but my own. Uh, but yeah, if social media is not really your thing. Uh, you can send us an email at boostandconfusedpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll get back to you in a couple days. Uh, I have some personal emails on my own email that I keep forgetting about. So if it takes a hot minute for us to respond... It's my fault. I have like 10,000 unread emails <laughs> in my personal account. Yeah. Um. Let's see. What's next? If you like the pod and you want to support us, the best way that you could do that is by leaving us a review and or subscribing or following wherever you get your podcasts. It makes a difference. And actually, very surprisingly enough, it used to be like, I don't know, evenly split like between Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And now it's like really heavily Spotify. Hey. So, I use that. Hello, Spotify friends. I'm also a Spotify person. What up? What's up? And uh, what's the last one? What are you drinking? Ooh, I'm do drinking. You... I'm drinking a Coors Light. Yeah, that's. You have the fun one. I do have the fun one. Um, so I'm drinking Golden Road Brewing, uh, Mango Cart. It's a mango wheat ale, and it's delicious. It's fantastic. It's really good. It's a good summer beer, and it's like four percent. So. Not too bad. It's crushable. You can have like crushable. seven of them. Yeah. It's you crushable, have... but I uh, have no booze tolerance, so I could have two and then it's time for bed. 
then it's bedtime. Yeah. Um, I had that one the other day and it reminds me of like a three, one, two, if it were better. Yeah. The mango. <laughs> they tried a little bit harder. It's not too sweet. It's a great finish. Yeah. Um, but it really pales in comparison to this magnificent lager, the Coors Light. <laughs> I'm more of a Coors Banquet kind of person. But we saw some friends the other day and we got Coors Light because everyone likes Coors Light. Everyone likes Coors Light. Not me. It's like the most popular bottled beer in Europe. I am a Miller Light gal myself and that's just my culture. My Southside Chicago culture. (laughs) Well, Miller Coors works together. It's all the same guy now. Yeah. All the same guy. Yeah. Um, I actually want to do a taste test. You can test me with my Coors Light versus Miller Light. I think I would um, fail. (laughs) Probably. I feel like a lot of light beers just taste the same. That's fine. Um, All right. So today we're going to talk about um, gene editing for humans for Mars. Like your genetic modified humans but specifically for like Mars and space travel. Spoilers, so. I bet they're all at least six foot five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so nobody can reject them on Tinder. Make me taller. That is- <laughs> Genetic modification just, well, I mean, that just like sets the, the bar so much higher than for height. It's like, oh, sorry, instead of like, you know, six five being a really great height. Now it's going to be too short and you have to be nine feet or taller. My short kings out yeah. there. <laughs> um, though I actually did hear that um, not only on Earth, you're taller when you wake up. What? You're tallest when you wake up. What is that? Like your spine? I don't know. It's your it's your body. I will have to Google this when we are done. But astronauts um, have been known to become taller while in space for long durations of time is that just a gravity thing it's a gravity thing interesting so i think inevitably people on mars would go from like your standard five foot five king to a five foot seven five foot eight king also king (laughs) okay well great uh yeah so we'll get into it so thanks to capitalism there's a new space race in town, um, but it's between two dudes who are in the middle of like a midlife crisis each, um, and they're just trying to get to Mars like before the other one. So Elon Musk has dreams to send like a million people to Mars by 2050, but Jeff Bezos, sorry, Beth Bezos, just like wants to make it there. I have not seen plans from him of like trying to colonize Mars. Um, he talks a lot about like space colonies and says it makes more sense for that instead of like colonizing a brand new planet like Mars um whereas Musk is like for a hundred thousand dollars you could take a round trip ticket to Mars although it could just be a one way I thought it was one way yeah it's probably just one way the money becomes meaningless yeah exactly um, but I did also hear that that little doorway on Mars that we talked about last time is uh-huh. actually going to be an Amazon shipping station. <laughs> Stop it. That was really funny. I take it back. You're not that funny. That was not a genuine laugh. Haha. <laughs> oh, is that supposed to be a joke? <laughs> oh, that was that was good. You got me on that one. Um, all right. So how long have you had that one brewing? 
that was just top of the dome. Top of the dome. dome. So clever. It's part of the job. Um, So my thinking is like, why are we going to bother moving planets if we're just going to fuck that one up too? Timeline. Yeah. Yeah, think big. Uh, It would take us a long time to mess up Mars. I don't know. Maybe it's more delicate than Earth. I, I don't really know. I'm not a Mars expert. Uh, by any means but right now the closest thing that we've got to civilians being in space is like spaceship neptune is is that the one where you like experience zero g for like a few minutes no like flies up and then flies down and you you float no so this is like a giant space balloon it's like a hundred thousand feet above earth and it it literally looks like a hot air balloon, um, but if it were like Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. Love it. Zoom, zoom. Yeah. <laughs> Make my heart go boom, boom. Supernova. My supernova girl. girl. <laughs> um, but it's like $125,000 a seat, and it's a six-hour journey outside of Earth's atmosphere, which is uh, pretty expensive hourly rate, I'll be honest. That's That's quite a lot of money. So are you seeing a theme here, though? Yeah, it's um this is like the maybe two or three steps away from where we are with the wealth distribution on those yeah. like inadequacies <laughs> where yeah. I can see them being like, you know what, Earth is so last year, let's let's be posh and go to space. Yeah, absolutely. So private companies creating space travel for civilians means it's just going to be insanely expensive it's going to be only accessible by the ultra wealthy and we'll get into that like maybe a little bit more later but when we talk about living in space there's this like really big piece that maybe people don't think about uh do you have any guesses on what we don't think about when you think about like living in space um well i would i would probably think about bone issues um Uh we would um we'd have issues with our bones Mm -hmm. and um breathing air Mm -hmm. um i think we'd probably need to know how to get water and food um where's all the pp go (laughs) wait actually that's a really good question that i never thought about where does the pp go yeah um also pens don't work in space they do not no gotta use pencils well no you well you gotta use a pencil yeah, I mean, maybe a whiteboard. Dry erase. I don't. I don't know. I know that NASA was trying to figure out how to make a pen work in space, and they spent loads of money on uh, gravity-defying pens. Um, and they go pencil. Yeah, but I think I remember. I know that's like a big running thing where it's like, oh, the Russians used a pencil, but I think there's like a thing specific to. Was it the lead in the pencil or graphite in the pencil that made it like dangerous to use within? I don't know. Everything. Oh, also like radiation. Yes. Solar radiation sounds yes. horrible. That is the big thing. So the whole thing that people sometimes don't think about is like, how the fuck are people even going to survive in space as we are as this current species, um, whether it's like on Mars or if we're just doing like frequent space travel? Yeah. You need some good atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> like light some candles. Um, High quality atmosphere. A scented candle or something. Yeah. Um, paintings. Yeah. Fine art. 
I was going to say you're not going to be able to take your Bath and Body Works candles with you, but I'm pretty sure if you're on a spaceship to Mars, um, you buy candles that are more expensive than Bath and Body Works. Or maybe not. Maybe you're buying Aldi candles. I don't know. I don't judge. But through evolution, our bodies have adapted to Earth, right? We've done like, we've done pretty well, I would say. Like evolutionary biologists say that fitness is a measure of natural selection in a way. Um, And we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. And somehow right now we're at the peak. uh, And this peak is like sitting on the couch watching trash TV every weeknight. (laughs) It sounds like a you thing. Um, Yeah, that was specifically me. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like a you thing. I'm not alone, though. No, you're you're far from it. Um, so there's this guy named Chris Mason, and Chris Mason is a geneticist and an associate professor of physiology and biophysics at uh, Cornell Universi- University in New York. So he um, has investigated the genetic effects of spaceflight and how humans might overcome these challenges to expand the species you know, farther into the solar system. Um you know, something that's kind of interesting is they've already done some like limited research on, um, you know, the Kelly brothers, the Kelly, uh, Mark and Scott Kelly astronaut brothers. So Mason leads one of the 10 teams of researchers at NASA um, who's studying, you know, these twin astronauts. And 2015 hits, Scott Kelly spends like almost a year on the ISS and his twin brother, Mark, stays back on Earth. And so from this like very unique, very small sample size, they were able to compare how they biologically reacted differently to their obviously very different environments during that time. Mm -hmm. And they were just trying to understand how long duration missions affect the human body. So Mason and like all of these other researchers who are, you know, assessing the genetic effects of spaceflight have this like shitload of data on just these two brothers, um, which was a great step, but obviously very limited. Um, so when they were studying this or what they found from studying this is how certain genes are expressed during different stages of spaceflight. Also, particularly, uh, you know, the intense return to earth, which is something I didn't really think about until I was doing more of this research. Um, but apparently that's like one of the most dangerous parts of spaceflight is making that return back to earth. It's like one of the harshest on your body which I wouldn't have thought of. Well, it's like entering the atmosphere, which is extremely full of friction. All that friction. Yeah, so much friction. <laughs> so much friction. So much friction. So much chafing. <laughs> oh, God. Bring your, bring your mega bay. Bring your chub rub. Um, but if they were to continue these studies and they actually confirm that like landing back on Earth was super harmful to the human body, maybe uh, scientists could develop ways to prevent those detrimental effects if we understand what the effects are. Um, But obviously a small sample size can't really make that estimate yet. One positive thing that could be developed from this that Mason has floated around before is if we understand what the effects are and we understand maybe how to mitigate them, he thinks maybe astronauts could be prescribed like a medicine or some other kind of tools to help mitigate the effects of, you know, what they've found. But 
then they take it a step further and they say, instead of medicine, what if we just edit a little bit of your genes before you go up and then you don't have to worry about taking any medicine or having any of these negative side effects. Uh, So like you had said, one of the biggest health concerns with space travel is radiation exposure. So maybe they figure out a way to make human cells more resilient to the effects of radiation. Um, You know, astronauts could be like healthier in space for a longer time. Um, But the other, I guess, like flip side, the neat part of that is you could use that technology for things like, you know, uh, cancer treatments on Earth. So that would be nice. Oh, yeah. But if that's cheaper than the current method of trying to treat cancer, that might be a no-go. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be profitable enough. Yeah. Um, obviously, gene editing, uh, human gene editing, is a super controversial topic. I think everybody remembers that doctor that did the gene editing of the twins in China, and he went to jail for it. Yep. Um yeah, but so Mason, who talks a lot about this like gene editing, says that, you know, it's not going to be something that happens overnight, at least not on Earth. Um, and it's going to be like decades of research completed before we actually start testing it on humans or trying to apply it to humans. Um, you know, there's a few different like approaches, though, of how you could actually go through gene editing. So one is that you know, future astronauts would go through this epigenetic engineering, epigenetic engineering, that is. Epigenetic. (laughs) It's a lot to say. Um, But that sort of specific engineering means that you could like turn on or turn off the expression of specific genes. So it wouldn't be like an all the time thing. Maybe it's like very specific to space travel, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, But then they're also talking about uh, combining DNA of other species like tardigrades uh, with human cells to make them more resistant to the harmful effects of, you know, radiation, other effects of space flight. The water bears? Tardigrades? Yeah, like the little... The little water yeah, bears. Yeah, the little things. The most resilient mofo yeah. in the known universe. Yeah. They, like, I think even survive, like, a space vacuum. Yes. Yeah. They're, if you look them up, I don't know. I don't have a picture of them in front of me right now. But like in my six mind, legs. Look, yeah, they look kind of cute in my mind. They're but not. If I, yeah, if I were to look at a picture, I don't think I would think they were cute. So as everybody's arguing about human genetic engineering modification, whatever we want to call it, uh, Mason brings up a really good point, which is like, it's not if we evolve, it's when we evolve. And like at some point, humans are going to start, I mean, maybe we already have, but humans are going to start evolving again um, to have to adapt to places like Mars or whatever the future of Earth looks like. Otherwise, we're just going to die out. Um, but he says that there's a way to like do this sort of science responsibly. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities, uh, but if, you know, they find out like they learn, obviously something isn't going to be ethical they're not going to do it um but they it's it's a really slippery slope um i i've thought about this a little bit so if we were to if we were to engineer people on earth to then send them into mars to make them more adaptable to mars i think that's one thing i think that's kind of interesting um you know we could use like what is it that crispr technology 
crispy um, yeah <laughs> make super crispy humans crispy but, humans um okay so we do that with humans right now say hypothetical and we send them up into mars we see how it goes uh totally volunteer based whatever um we have oversight here we have like ethics committees there there are ways i guess on earth to prevent it from being like totally crazy um but say you take that technology to mars um, you know, maybe these like genetically modified people go live up in Mars. They take this technology with them, um, but they don't take any of the ethics or any of the oversight. Uh, and then, you know, they have a one-way ticket. So what the fuck do they have to lose? You know, what's to stop them from just continuously editing to create like superhumans? Like, well, like what would that human race even look like on Mars? Once you've removed the uh, the training wheels, the boxes that earthly morality has, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of takes off the inhibitors. Yeah. Everything in the name of money, we're just being better than everybody else. No, I it's guess. science. Yeah. And I remember when, when it was, not remember when, because I, I wasn't alive yet, but the, you know, nations would race each other to space you know yeah the good now old it's days it's just a couple of rich boys yeah what's actually really interesting is um i don't have it in in this article but maybe i'll try to find the the link for it but martin did this interview that i was reading and somebody had brought up okay so if we're going to engage in the space race but from like a private you know side of this um are we going to be behind because of our ethics? So, for example, a country like China, who does have much more advanced technology than we do, but maybe less oversight or, you know, less ethics involved, um, they are way uh, ahead of us, I guess I would say. Um, and so, you know, is that going to put us too far down on the totem pole in terms of space? Like, maybe maybe Mars is not even an option for people coming from America if another country gets there first. I wouldn't fucking want us there either. <laughs> people calling dibs on, on this Mars. Is, this, is, this, is my, <laughs> this is my new space. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about too. Like if we were to create these space colonies, like Beth Jezos was talking about, instead of colonizing another planet, like how do you, I don't know. I just think a lot about Xenon girl of the 21st century oh actually you talking about the like humans changing really reminds me of this really excellent sci-fi show on amazon prime called expanse the expanse oh yeah um and to give a general really brief layout um it's talking about um there's like an earth colony it's not an earth colony but it's like earth is still earth it's where the wealthiest live then there's um like Mars, Martians. Um, and then there are people who live on the asteroid belt who mine uh, for like ice, I think. And they are exceptionally tall and lanky and can't really hang out on you know, Earth because their frames can't survive the gravity. And it's a whole like social class fight and it's a really gnarly, brutal um, not beautiful future sci-fi show. I really love it. Maybe I'll watch it. That sounds really good. I think I've seen 
some like trailers for it or clips from it. it sounds good though yeah i'm on season two yeah oh you should wait for me i'll catch up i will not wait for you <laughs> for anything but it also kind of reminds me of battlestar galactica not that um you know cylons were something that was created to be like a superhuman race but that's kind of like what it evolved into um spoilers and then uh, everything goes to shit and then they basically have to start back uh at square one and find a new earth to uh live on but yeah i don't know it's kind of crazy and thinking about some of the stuff that they talk about like what you would have to adapt in order to live on mars maybe it would be like you can live with less oxygen or, you know, you could, I mean, we really get into like a eugenics thing here too, because, um, you know, it talks about, well, you would want, uh, you know, like the highest intelligence possible if you're trying to colonize a brand new planet. Um, you know, it kind of takes me back to when I first found out that to be an astronaut, you had to actually be good at something and you couldn't just, you know, be a, a Sally nobody and they'd send you up. <laughs> you got to actually provide something to uh, the ship. Um, but yeah, so they, you know, could engineer you to be smarter, increase your intelligence, um, you know, reduce your anxiety, take higher risks. Um, maybe they could do that for me and take away some of my anxiety, but also not make me more of a risk taker because I, I like my place on the couch. Thank you. Right on earth. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much all that I have. This has been an ongoing conversation or like debate in the science world for a pretty long time. If you were to just Google like gene editing humans for Mars, you find so much content. And, um, you know, Chris Martin pops up in a lot of these conversations because he is just such an active uh, person, I guess, within the community who talks about it. But yeah, it's uh really interesting to think about i'm glad i hopefully won't be around for it i don't think we have to worry about anything that we talked about today i don't uh, think so either there is a a wikipedia link that i've looked at before and i'm almost positive i've used this in past episodes um just for like a reference here um this is like future science predictions um, and it's predicted that it'll take a hundred thousand years to terraform Mars. Oh, okay, good luck, everybody else. <laughs> that is to give it like an oxygen-rich, you know, atmosphere, yeah. um, like on Earth. Yeah. Well, good luck, Beth Jesus and Shmilan Schmusk. I think they'll still be around. I'm sure they will be. It's going to be Futurama talking heads I, I love futurama yeah can't wait well that's that's it for today i've got some links in the show notes if you want to read more uh go google chris martin uh go google chris not chris gene editing uh humans for mars and uh let us know what you think would you do it if you could would you take a one-way ride to mars it's not looking so bad these days i don't know <laughs> It's a lot safer out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. We'll see you next time. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. <laughs>